Howdy. I don't mind if Justin preaches, as long as at the end of the week I get the paycheck. <laughs> he can preach all he wants to. No, I, I thought, Bob, don't get up there and say that, because it's going to come across, somebody's going to take it wrong, and uh, sure as the world, uh, I, you know, we're not here about the money. My, when I answered a call to preach, I'd been under conviction for a long time, and my father-in-law was a free will Baptist preacher, and I had been riding, driving a truck, and just a lot of, a lot of conviction about it, and I went to the, happened to be coming through Fredericktown, where we was living, and on Wednesday night, and I went to church, and sure enough, everything said at that service that night was towards me, so I got on the altar, and I got to praying, and I mean, I, you know, they called it a mourner's bench years ago, and that's what it was that night for me. It was a Marner's bench. I bawled and cried, and about the time I thought, well, I believe I can do this. I believe the Lord's called me to preach. I'd look up and tell my father-in-law, and he's, he'd start telling me what kind of troubles I was going to have. And I'd <laughs> back to the altar I'd go, and, and that, went on, that went on for about 15 minutes. And uh, I'm down there, and finally I thought, you've heard the terminology prayed through. I thought I had prayed through. I got it settled. I was going to serve God whatever, whatever the cost. And I looked up and I told my father-in-law I was going to serve God. He said, whatever the cost. I said, whatever the cost. He said, I'm telling you right now, you ain't never going to have any money. <laughs> back, back down the altar I went, praying all over again. Them old-time preachers, didn't, they didn't know what compassion was. I'm telling you right now. They were just hard on a guy. But... The Lord has blessed, and we've been fine, and we are happy to be here. Uh, I don't know who all we've got. I know that the, uh, uh, the Wolf Creek Church has come and joined us tonight. I don't know if there's other churches here or not, but we sure appreciate that, and Bruce and Dee, Dee uh love them uh, a great deal. Uh, this is a little bit different message we're going to preach tonight. I want you to turn a couple places with me, starting out in Psalms 78. We're going to read in Jeremiah chapter 20 also and maybe a couple other places and get a foundation. Now, the purpose of this message tonight, and this is, a, this is an unusual revival in this sense, that we're going to go tonight till Friday night. So we got six nights of preaching. That's a little bit unusual these days. Most revivals don't last that long, and so I've got to come up with a couple extra sermons to preach along the way. And I will preach God's Word. I'll, I'll promise you, folks, I will pray. I, I don't have a list of best sermons. Uh, I think I have best sermons to uh, Brother Stanley. I go back and look over them, and they don't look so hot the second time around. It's, it's just a little bit strange about that. So I don't have that. But I do have a Lord that will stir my heart. I believe the Lord knows what you need to hear at Cornerstone Church. And what you people, and the people that will be here each night, he knows who will be here. And I pray that we'll have lost out, and they'll hear the, the message. But I'll promise you, you will get the word of God uh, in your hearts along the way. But tonight, the purpose of this message is tell you what should happen by Friday. If you come every night, that you possibly can. If you work, I understand that, but if you can come every night, I'm going to tell you what should happen by the end of the week with the Word of God that you hear. 
People struggle with the Word of God today. We just got through vacation Bible school at our church, and uh, we taught four basic principles. First principle to the children was that God can help you through hard things. Now, I believe that life can be very hard on people. And I believe as we narrow this thing down to the end of time, the end of days, whenever that is, whatever the last day of earth is going to be, whenever the last judgment falls, I believe times are going to get harder. Now, I believe that because of what Jesus said. He said in the latter days in Matthew 24, He said, because iniquity would abound. And by the way, iniquity is abounding, isn't it? It is unbelievable what is happening in our world today. And that's not my intention to get in all these things. Your pastor will do that. And you've got, if you read the Word of God, you've got enough sense to know that we're not heading towards God. We're going away from Him, which is bringing us on a pathway of judgment towards Him. But he said, because iniquity would abound, the love of many would wax cold. That people would start hating one another, and we see that in our society to a great extreme. That's what's happening. So they taught our kids about that and taught some scriptures. We taught them the second night about the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. That he gives hope no matter how hard life gets, no matter how hard the situation, whether it's a family issue, a church issue, a personal issue, a nation or world issue, no matter what we go through, God gives hope. There is no hopeless situation as long as you're breathing. And as long as you know a soul, that, is there a soul that is so bad that God cannot save them? Well, if he's forgiven their sins, if he's paid the price at Calvary, he can cleanse them with his blood because he's paid the price. But boy, I tell you what, I've run into a few that tested my faith on that along the way. God gives hope. The third thing we talked about, he gives boldness in the face of hardness that you have to deal with life and you have to be bold. And the last one that we dealt with was eternal life. The principle is this. We gave the kids the word of God in certain fashions, forms, and, and illustrations and different things, hoping that somewhere along the line, whatever they're learning would not depart from them, that they will take a seed and let it plant inside their soul and as they grow older and older and older, somewhere along the line, God will pull that thing to the forefront of what they heard, vacation Bible school, Sunday school, worship, or even in their daily reading themselves, or mom and dad or grandpa and grandma teaching them. It would come to the forefront and use it. People are easy to forget the blessings of God. Like baseball fans. <laughs> I, well, all right. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about the Cardinals. It's easy to forget how good things are when things are bad. Children of Israel are in a wilderness and they're wandering around for 40 years. What should have been an 11-day journey. What should have been an 11-day journey has turned into 40 stinking years. Boy gets up about 20 years into the wilderness journey and said, "Mom, what do we got for breakfast?" manna well we've had manna for 20 years for breakfast dinner comes lunchtime what are we eating manna now look at here the very best thing you like you can get sick of supper time 
Chloe, I'm afraid to ask mom. We've been out here 35 years. Mom, you've been feeding us manna for breakfast, for lunch, for supper. Every time I ask for a midnight snack, it's manna. What are we eating for supper? Manna. Well, I'm sick of it. And she looks at him and said, I am too, but don't blame us. It was your dad who wouldn't go into the promised land when God told him to. So we're wandering out here eating manna. Now, I think it was a miraculous thing to be fed for 40 years. They, they, came, they came out of Egypt in a miraculous way. And they passed through the Red Sea in a miraculous way. They met God at Mount Sinai in a miraculous way. They seen the hand of God do miraculous, supernatural things, draw water from a rock. But they would constantly complain. Here's one of the complaints in Psalms 78 that is recorded for us. It says in verse 17 that they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now, when you stop and think about that, they want God to set a table of a feast in the midst of a wilderness. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Well, when you and I sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you know what we'll find out? God can set a table. (laughs) We're going to find out that God can set a table. But now they're in the wilderness. They're not at the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're not feasting on the great things of God. They're eating manna. They're suffering. They're, They're fighting battles along the way. There's a lot of inner turmoil and strife, even to the point where Moses is about fed up with them. And the questions arise, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth, for so as a fire kindled against Jacob, anger came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Now here's what their problem was. When you trust in miracles, and thank God for miracles, I kind of like them, don't you? I like when I get news of divine healing. Somebody had been healed of something or somebody, somebody had something provided to them miraculously. When God answers a prayer, thank God for it. But I'll be honest about it. In my personal life, answered prayer is generally long and far between as far as the answer is coming. In other words, I pray a lot of prayers. And I've got a lot of stack up that I'm still waiting for God to answer. I don't believe God answers prayer because I had a miracle answered at one time in my life. I believe God answers prayer because Jesus says, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's why I believe. Because Jesus said it. He said, If you ask anything in my name, the Father will give it. Not based upon somebody's testimony. I thank God for the testimony. We need a little encouragement from time to time. But I don't believe because of what somebody said or somebody's experience. I believe because of what thus saith the Lord. You go to Psalms Psalms 119 and this wonderful Psalm 170-something, 76, 79 verses or something like that along the way. And every bit of it is about the precepts. 
the commandments, the laws, the judgments of God is what it's all about. And so he would make statements. He said, thy word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The saying would be this, thus saith the Lord. The prophets would come by and say, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And thus saith the Lord became a powerful statement. If God says it, it must be true. After all, God just spoke and hung stars in the sky. God just spoke. And things became into existence in the universe. There's something in the power of the spoken word of God. He is very powerful. So much so that by the time you get over to the book of Jeremiah, let's go there real quick. Chapter 20. Remember, I'm going to preach to you what should happen when you hear the word of God. Jeremiah knows the word of God very well. But you know what? He's had this experience that you probably had. Everybody probably will have at one time or another. Sometimes speaking the word of God gets you in trouble. Not everybody is praising God. Never everybody has an open arms. Not everybody is happy to hear the word of God. And so Jeremiah is in a dungeon. His feet are in miry clay. And he's being persecuted for preaching what God told him to preach. Now, he could say this. He could say, (laughs) don't blame me. This is God. But look here. The question is, are you on God's side or not? If it's what God says, then it must be what you believe. And if you don't believe what God says, then you have no belief. And so Jeremiah is suffering. Notice chapter 20 verse, let's pick this up, verse 7. He said, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. Now, I can make fun of him, but I'll be honest about it. It is is no fun to be mocked. I don't like it. I never have. It bothers me to be mocked. It bothers me to have people deride you behind your back. Who was that idiot who came up with that saying, sticks and stones may... Break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It must have been some kind of nut, according to Barney Five. Because words do hurt. They sting. They bite. And he's being mocked. Much like our master was on the cross of Calvary as the nails were in his hands. And people are coming around mocking him and making fun of him. If you're the son of God, come down. Thank God he didn't. And so Jeremiah says, since I spake, verse 8, I cried out, I cried violence and spoiled because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Now what was made a reproach? The word of the Lord. Now Job says, thy word I have esteemed more necessary than my daily food. He's exalted his word above every name. Jesus said not one jot and one tittle would pass away from his word. Everything is based upon the word of God. I I hope you know this, folks. You can go to a Bible bookstore, and not everything in a Bible bookstore is Bible. You can turn on Christian programming, and not everything on there in Christian programming is biblical. Somebody said, well, preacher, is everything you preach? 
I must, I'm going to tell this. I was at youth camp one year. This is a long time ago. Down at youth camp, and, uh, and they had, remember when they had the picnic at that little round table up there by the snack shop? And boy, everybody kind of gathered around there and, and sat. And by the time you get there in the evening and try to get the kids off in the bed, there'd be a group of preachers and different ones sitting around. And you sit down, and the kids have melted their ice cream. You're sitting in candy because you can't see. It was a crummy table to sit at, but it was the only place to sit and have a conversation at camp. And so we're sitting, I'm coming up through there, and I see the table, and there's, there's a preacher there. I know he wasn't an old preacher, about middle age, but he was up there, and there was some young ones around him, and, and, uh, and he's just running down one preacher after another. He says, they have not the anointing. He said, they don't have the anointing. This one, he's just naming preachers, don't have the anointing. And I'm, these guys are sitting there soaking it up. I'm sitting there getting fed up. And I'm listening to him, and the next thing I know, it just came out of my mouth. I looked at him. I called out his name. I said, do you have the anointing? What do you mean? I said, well, do you have the anointing? Well, of course I do. Then I said, how do you know you've got the anointing? How do you know that? Now, I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to be angry. It was just sometimes, there it is. And he said, well, Brother Bob, how do you know you have the anointing? I said, well, I know this. If I preach the purity of his word, if I don't add to or take from, he will touch it. If I don't add my personal opinion, if I don't add my, my little side notes to it, if I'm not expounding upon things that I don't know anything about trying to show my education, if it's just the word of God, if it's what God says, because I believe let God be true and everybody else what? That's kind of strong, isn't it? I said, number two, I pray hard to find out what this book says. Because I don't want to get in trouble with God. I don't want to add or take away. There's some danger signals in there if you take away or add. So I don't want to do that. This is an important book. But it'll get you in trouble with people along the way. My brother in Columbia, Missouri... He used to call me up. He don't do this anymore, but he used to call me up down through the years, down over the last 40 years. He'd say, Bob, he said, I want to know a question out of the Bible, but I don't want you preaching. I don't want, he'd say that. He said, I don't want to hear your sermons. Just tell me what's in the Bible. I said, well, I said, do you know what preaching is? I said, I really don't want to preach to you, but preaching is just proclaiming what is said in the Bible. Okay, so Jeremiah says this. I'm being derided. For the word of the Lord daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. How many of you, don't raise hands because we don't want to embarrass, don't want to, but just stop and think for a minute. Have you ever had the word of God burn? I mean, burn in God. I mean, all of a sudden, it's no longer on the pages. It's jumped off of those pages. It's went through the ears, through the eyes, and it's sunk deep down inside, and there's something that's burning there. God Almighty is trying to tell you something. God is trying to speak. God is trying to give voice to something. 
What happens on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mark chapter 9? What's going on up there? We got, we got Jesus up there. We got Peter, James, and John up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who else is up there? There's two other old boys up there. Moses is up there. They, Elijah is up there. And so Peter, James, and John, they get all caught up in this little deal. And they say, man, this is wonderful. Elijah, we've heard about him all of our life. We, we, we see, we see uh, Moses, my lands. This is wonderful. There's Jesus, but there's Elijah and Moses. And so they're about to build an altar unto all three of them. And all of a sudden, a cloud shows up. The father's got something to say. He said, stop it. No, he didn't say that. But they stopped it. Here's why. He said, this is my beloved son. What did he say? Hear him. Listen to him. Would you stop and listen to him? Moses could only speak what God said. Elijah could only do what God told him to do. And by the way, Jesus made this statement. He said, the words that I speak are the words of the Father. Jesus had no personal doctrine. Did you know that? His doctrine was the doctrine of the Father. Who taught Jesus that? Who taught Jesus that he was Jesus? I mean, he was just a babe, wasn't he? When he was born, when he was born down there in Bethlehem, and in that manger, and Mary's there, Joseph's there, what word does he know that tells him he's the son of God? He will have to learn. Boy, Mary had to teach Jesus the word no. Now, I'm made to believe kids have gotten so smart today, you don't have to teach it to them. They know it before you know it. And they'll, talk, they'll tell it back to you. Somebody had to tell him who he was. How many times, I wonder, Mary had the opportunity to, to take Jesus as a little child and train him and tell him that story about the angel appearing unto her and that she was, he was actually conceived of the Holy Ghost. He began to learn he began to study, so much so that by the age of 12, what's going on? They're down at the temple, and they have their little time of worship and everything. They leave, but they get back there. He's gone. They go back. They find him at the temple. What's he doing? He's about his father's business. How does he know what his father's business is? He knows the word of God. So much so that by the time from 12, he enters into the ministry and he spends the first 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting and praying and comes out of there and lo and behold, there's the devil waiting. Well, I've got three temptations for you, Jesus. Go ahead. Because I've got three answers. And they're all the same. It is written. Jesus didn't have a single thing else to tell the devil other than what was written. Where did Jesus get his power? Right there. He knew it. He lived it. In fact, John would expound upon it later on. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. That's how big this book is. It is probable for... Now, let me get into the sermon. How much time we got? Wow, somebody sung too much. Four things. Now, before I get into this, let me say this. I always wondered about this. Somebody said, I got five things you need to know from this particular. Well, why not six things? Why five things? Seven. So I, I get this on my computer from a Christian program. Seven 
reasons God answers prayer. Really, why not eight? Why not nine reasons? Well, I've got four things that should happen when you hear the Word of God. There could be five. There could be six, but I'm going to preach to four. Number one, what I preach this week, what Brother Justin will preach as the pastor later on, what Sunday school teachers will teach, when you have your daily devotion, when you read to your people, this ought to happen. Your mind, the thoughts of your mind, should be stretched beyond human reasoning. You're no longer living in the physical realm, in the, in the, in the world of confinement, where of limitations. We are now in the realm, by faith, in the Word of God, living for God, where the supernatural takes over and amazing things can happen. God can use you to do amazing things. Can he use a boy with few loaves of bread and few fishes feed 5,000? Yes, he absolutely can. Can he use the biggest group of knuckleheads, 12 disciples, that nobody would have wanted to deal with? These guys were idiots. Hey, Jesus. <laughs> hey, Jesus, which one of you think is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If it had been me, I know what I'd, I would have said. None of you guys. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure you're going to make it. I'm threatening to send them you back to the Father and go pick another 12 out. They were bad stuff. They were hard. He would say, how long must I deal with you before you finally understand what's going on? But he'd teach them the Word of God. He'd teach it, and he'd teach it. And eventually... Upon the, it's, it's like those old boys on the road to Emmaus. Mesh. You remember that? Jesus is crucified. Jesus has been in the tomb. And now Jesus is erected, and yet nobody believes he's alive. And on the road to Emmaus, here's Jesus walking along with them. And they're talking, don't you know what happened? Don't you know what's been going on? And he's with them, and they finally get in there to the place. And there's a story, and I won't get into it, but here's the deal. This is what they realized when Jesus left. Did not our hearts burn? While he was talking, was not something going on in our hearts? Wasn't something being stirred within our soul? He was telling them the truth. And they just didn't quite have the ears for it yet. I'm going to tell you something. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. And so what you've got to do, you hear the word of God, and it'll stretch your mind, and it'll, it'll start leading you to be things, do things, that you don't think you're capable of. But then you're staring at Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ. Do we believe that? But boy, boy, there are occasions we run up against things. You know, my father-in-law that put me through such misery the night I answered a call to preach by telling me what I was going to face for the first time in his life happened to be right about everything he said. I run into situations I didn't think I'd ever have to deal with. I got involved in places, dealing with things. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big old boy. I, I, I've got some bravery to me. I've got a little bit of a backbone, but there is a wet noodle back there that flops around every now and then. And gets a little scared. But I found out when I'm willing to take him at his word. 
Luke chapter 5, disciples fishing all night. Haven't caught nothing. What do they say? Jesus said, we'll cast your fish on the nets on the other side of the boat. Why? There ain't nothing. We've done fished all night. We're fishermen. You are not. Here's what they said. Nevertheless, at thy word. The word of God will stretch you. And if you allow it to stretch your thoughts, nothing's impossible that God wants you to do. You can preach. You can teach. You can witness. You can confront a situation that the devil's trying to get in the front door. The devil's trying to blow your house down. And look at here, you don't have to stay inside and tremble. The, the devil's not supposed to run us off. We're supposed to resist him, and what will happen? He will flee from us. That's what happened with Jesus. He, re, he resisted him three times, and what did the devil do? He left for a season. He went over and reworked his plan, got up something different, came back, and found the same thing happened all over again. The Word of God, folks, will enlarge your mind because you'll start thinking the way God thinks. And God says... With him, nothing's impossible. All things are possible to them that believe and trust in him. I don't believe we're in the I don't believe we're in the days of non miracles I don't believe miracles are over. I don't believe supernatural events are gone. I believe things can happen that will just just literally I believe you can pray. And somebody can be in prison and they can get out and they'll knock on your door just like they did with Peter and you'll be shocked that the prayer was answered. But pray it anyways, in faith. Right. Believe in your prayer. Second thing that should happen, and this is where I'm really going to get you. Not only should preaching the Word of God stretch your mind, your thoughts, and make you start to Work towards the impossible. But the Word of God should tan your hide. Now, we're living in a day and age where it's not good to make people feel bad. I mean, Joel Osteen, he says it's not good to have a cross in the church. That might make somebody feel like a sinner. Oh, my lands. They might feel like a sinner. You preach on sins. I got a woman. I've been preaching on it. I've just arrived at Lettington Church, haven't officially taken it as a pastor yet. They're going to vote on me after 30 years of a DeSoto. And I'm up there preaching, and there's an elderly woman sitting back there when I mentioned the abortion issue, and she is disagreeing with me loudly in front of everybody. So I preached this morning. I said, if you're in disagreement with me, come and talk to me. But you better bring some gospel with you when you come. Because that's what we're going to stand upon. She needs her hide nailed. Are we actually past the time, the day and age, with the church of God, God help us, can't get our conviction about anything anymore? I know there's a lot of things to preach to out there, but there are a number of things in here. And I don't even know the church. Justin hadn't called me up and said, boy, would you hit this while you're down? Oh, by the way, would you get this? That has not happened. I just know the church and the body of Christ. We are imperfect. We are perfectly saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb, since cast as far as the east is from the west, but we still have a robe of flesh that we wrestle with. And that's why I have to die daily. The Word of God, I don't care if you're the pastor, 
If you're the deacons, you're the trustees, you've been Sunday school teacher for 50 years, I don't care. Every now and then, it ought to hit you. Right? Because nobody is perfect. All the truth feels good. No, it don't. At first. It hurts. It convicts. And so people want to sear their conscience. And they don't want conviction. And you know what? God withdraws his hand. We have lived, I I can tell you this, the past 15, almost 20 years, we have not seen the conviction in the church world that we used to see years earlier. My lands, we were seeing people, (laughs) we we were seeing people come come to the altar and get saved before the preacher ever got that far. Because conviction had set in. People had done something wrong. They had sinned. There was conviction over the sin. Christ died for that sin, and there's conviction, and not now. And preach to it. Look at you. I'm going to tell you why there's a lack of conviction. If there's not preaching to sin, there'll be no conviction for sin. It has to be preached to. We've lost a lot of ground. And every individual church has to fight their own battles. Where well, you're going to fight them? Look here. You, you just and you don't hang your hat on little pity pet peeves and things like that. But folks, there are boundaries that people cross. And when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he said, my goodness, guys, there are some sins that are not be once named among you. Preaching the word of God or to enlarge your mind, stretch it, stretch your abilities, your talents. Preaching are to convict you and preaching are to inspire you. It should lift you up to the level of wanting to do something for God. It's inspiring. Hey! (laughs) I'm sitting here and they're saying, oh yes, I'll be in glory, glory, by and by. Now I'm not going to be here like this. Oh yes, I'll be in glory, glory, by and by. Can you see me looking at my watch? That's not inspiring. There ought to be something connected in worship when it's biblical worship, when the focus is God. And you're worshiping the risen lamb that has been crucified, and there he is. How do you know he lives? Well, the word of God says, John wrote, he said, these things I've written that you might know. And when you know it, it should be exciting and inspiring. What do you mean inspiring? Inspiring is this. My messages will not touch you if God doesn't touch you. I can be the best orator, which I'm not. I can have the best points, which I have none. I can have the best scripture, which I have. And I can proclaim it, but it's got to go from, I, I cannot, I found this out with Kathy. Look, here, there's some, there is a dead spot right there on the other side of her ear. And whatever I say stops right there if she don't like what I'm saying. <laughs> Didi, it's just the other ear with Didi. I think it's the other <laughs> ear with her. Same way. Did you know you cannot force spiritual truth into a mind? 
you can sow it and see if the Holy Spirit will, the person out of a good heart will receive it. And if they receive it, then the Spirit of God will touch it. And what, this is what we call enlightening the eyes. We were sitting in camp, me and Bruce in his great office he's got up there in the barn or the shed or whatever that is up there. I was actually going to sit with Dee Dee in her class, air conditioned one day. Bruce was coming back late. This is the morning uh, woman, and I was going to sit in Dee Dee's and listen to her as Bruce was late. She's got nice, neat tables. The smell of food is cooking off in there. You can, I mean, it's air conditioned. This is just sweet. And Bruce shows up, and so I had to go up to his. Get grease on my ants eating the dead crumbs that are around. It's a pitiful place to get truth. It is the most pitiful. This is where he changes all for the tractors. This is where the possums hang out. There we're up there. Me and him, one other guy. The Lord spoke to our heart up there, didn't he? <laughs> the Lord spoke to our heart. You know, when you let God take his book. Now, all scripture is given by what? Inspiration. Inspiring. Now, God gave it to Paul, inspired to write it, or to Peter, inspired to write it, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, inspired to write it, but then the Holy Spirit takes it off of its pages and inspires you and I with it. And it ignites. It turns into songs that writers sang in the Jones family, sang songs that are inspired. Then the singer is inspired to sing it. They worship as they sing. They glorify to Christ. I love to be in presence of people who are being lifted up in spirit to God. It is precious to speak from the heart. Last thing. Not only will the word of God this week stretch your thoughts, we're going to challenge you. Not only is it going to convict you, not only is it going to, going to inspire you to, to, to love God, but I can tell you what, it's going to provoke you to action. And boy, we need the church in action. I had a good man, a good man, been a servant of God for decades, talked to me about last year at this time. And he was, I was talking with him, and he told me, he said, he said, Bob, he said, I don't know why. He said, but I've quit. Now, by the way, this man teaches Sunday school. But he quit. That's what his words were to me. He said, I quit. He teaches as good a Sunday school teacher as you ever meet. People love to hear him teach. But he folded his lesson book up, and he went home and didn't do nothing the rest of the week. And he was under conviction about it. It bothered him. Look here. The word of God, if faith without works is dead, should provoke us to action. Right. Somebody comes to me and says, Brother Bob, I've got somebody over here I'd like for you to witness to. Okay, I'd be glad to. Uh, are you willing to witness to him? Oh, no, that's not me. Oh, yes, it is. The word of God should provoke you. If somebody is dying and going to hell and God lays them on your heart 
It is your responsibility to talk to that soul. The Word of God moves and stirs and provokes and calls you to action. Paul is saying he's been told by his, by his men, his entourage, Paul, we're not going to be there when you get there. At, I think it was Ephesus. He said, but would you just for, a, for once in your life, would you sit down on your hands, do nothing, don't get any trouble, just stay out of it until we get there because we know you're going to say something's going to get the whole town upset and let us be there to protect you. And so Paul said, okay. So he gets there, and he's waiting for Timothy and Titus to show up. And he's looking out there across Mars Hill at all of these idols. Well, they're late. I'm going to give them five more minutes. I can't sit here. I, got, I have got to say something. I have got to speak up. I've got to get, I've got to put something behind my voice. I've got to be provoked to speak for God. And that's what he did. And by the way, it did get him in trouble too. But he was just doing what was stirring in his heart. Just like Jer Jeremiah said, the word of God burnt to where I couldn't stay. I couldn't, I couldn't be quiet. It was causing me to speak. Verse of imitation. I'll tell you this story. Howard White was the son of a deacon and his a deacon's wife at our church, Richard and Mary White. Trouble for 30 years. I've chased him. I've chased him through backyards. I'd knock on the front door, he'd run out the back, and I'd chase him out the back. I, he just and he'd get on the altar, and then he'd quit. And he's he just he'd tell me, he said, Bob, he said, I just I can't live it, and he had it, his doctrine was all mixed up. He somehow thought he had to be as good as his mom and dad, and he wasn't trusting in the blood. He was trusting in actions and works. But he took cancer a few years ago and started dying, and it was evident that he didn't have long to live. And I can tell you this, he had drinking buddies, drug buddies, Immoral buddies come into the house, and every one of them knew if they was going to come in and tell Howard goodbye, they was going to hear about Jesus. Because it finally got in here instead of here. It became a reality to him, and it changed him. He was the best witness. Just like Samson killing more on his deathbed than he, he was slaying them left and right with his testimony. It was just the Word of God. Now, the Word of God, folks, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce and divide soul, spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is powerful when we let it be powerful in our lives. Let's stand. Verse of imitation. I wonder if there's a soul this evening that's the word of God's burning in your heart. It could be that God's calling you to do something. And you need to surrender. It could be God's convicting you. And you need to repent. 
Could be a lot of different reasons it's between you and God. But I know this, the Word of God should burn in our hearts, friends. It should burn.